Welcome back, everybody. Episode three of the TFL podcast. Super excited for our guests upcoming. I went uh, with a real American flavor last week and uh, going all Canada here. Um, two of the all-time greats to ever play the game for the Toronto Rock, but started their careers in two different places. Um, and, and we have Josh Sanderson uh, currently uh, working for the San Diego Seals, so he had to do this. And, uh, and then Colin Doyle, uh, who's currently working for the Toronto Rock and uh, two, well, at least a storied franchise and a lot of championships amongst these guys in a couple different places. But uh, fellas, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Good to see you again. Good you to see too, Shooter. Right? You guys, like, don't live too far away from each other, right? Like, don't you see each other all the time? Not too much. He's uh, probably an hour and a half north of me, I think. You're still the same spot, Doily? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little further north than Shooter, but uh, he's uh, he's got mostly boys in his house, so I got all girls in my house. So our paths don't cross as much as they should. And So you're keeping yours away from his? Oh, yeah, there's no question there. <laughs> my girls don't go down to Orangeville unless they got to play lacrosse. I promise you that. Yeah, that's a well, rule. Speaking, of Orange, speaking of Orangeville and Kitchener, like the, you guys, like even growing up, had a long history of Colin always wanted to be an Orangeville guy and was jealous of the Orangeville guys. And so he, he had a little, right, shooter, like he was, he was jealous. Well, the rivalry started at the Junior Bs, I believe, and then went over to uh, – the mate or the majors in the junior B started the rivalry. And then, uh, then we got to carry it on in junior A when Orangeville and Kitchener went in in the same year. So, uh, definitely that was the biggest rivals with Doyle. He would have been growing up a uh, minor and junior. We, Doyle, knew, you did. we met each other, uh, a good friend of mine, a guy whose dad got me into lacrosse, Craig Fatopoulos, his old man, Danny used to coach the junior B team and, Obviously, uh, Shooter's father and uncle's all involved in the, the junior B team in, in Orangeville. We'd end up playing mini sticks in the corner of the arenas growing up, so we kind of got to know each other a little bit then. Uh, but the rivalry was real good back then. It was, like, mean and physical, like old school lacrosse. And then, I don't know, when, when we played, I wouldn't call it much of a rivalry. We'd always put up a good fight, literally. But uh, we, didn't, we didn't give them much uh, – we didn't give them much of a hard time. They walked all over us in my five years as a junior. That's the you truth. Guys, you guys played the opposite end of the floor. I mean, basically, two lefty offensive guys really probably never saw each other at the end of the day when you played against each other. Back then, I played both ways all the way probably till the fourth, Come fourth year on, junior. That's true story. Yeah, I, I did too. I played both ways till fourth year junior. That's we had three fantastic. lines up and back. Uh, you know, I, I, I liked it. I, I thought uh, back then, obviously, creating a lot out of transition. I thought you got a lot of offense out of transition. I, I so definitely cheated. You move on <laughs> from junior, and, and you're going into the NLL. Colin, you went in super early, right? It did, and I want to get this right. Did, did you actually get drafted, or was it the Johnny Meridian Shimsham that got you onto the Ontario Raiders? I got drafted into Rochester and then cut. Uh, 97, <laughs> I got drafted, uh, to Rochester, uh, and they were all back then. You're only allowed to keep, I think six Canadians on your roster. And, uh, Bob Fisher from St. Catharines took the last spot. So I was cut uh, in 97. Then I think my name fell into a pool and then Meridian scooped me up in the shim sham draft, as you call it, uh, yeah. myself. And I think seven others 
I, I could probably recite the names at a later date, but then Johnny picked me up in that, and that became the Hamilton Raiders or the Ontario Raiders, which became the Toronto Rock. Yeah, it's, so that was obviously you came in shooter. You came in after because you you got drafted by your dad, right? And the all the no. attack. No, I got drafted Rochester. by Rochester in '98, second round. Um, I was in the junior deal that went to Albany. That so uh, I was two years in Rochester, but part time in and out. You know, trying to find my uh game so to speak so i was in raj for a couple years we uh, you know i was on the t I, would, I didn't play in the game where they beat us with a second left or uh in, in maple leaf gardens there but uh so that's another that's another bad trade that junior was involved in that that the team that ended up getting junior got hosed well t, t got a lot of guys from that that, I remember that, that happened that. in colorado too <laughs> yeah, yeah i i, I remember i was into that steve sorry were you on the right end of that or the wrong end of that? Well, I traded Matt Vince for John Grant Jr. What do you think? <laughs> well, they won three, they won three championships in a row, and I got Jr. and his, all his baggage. <laughs> Did you ask Jr. who won that deal? Oh, he, he knows who won that deal. <laughs> <laughs> never been. Yeah, Shooter and I both got drafted to Rochester. Imagine how things would have been different if we both had a state. It would have been, it would have been neat to see that play out for sure. Well, if you played with Junior, there's not enough balls for all of you. Well, that wouldn't have lasted long, that's for sure. We, we've tried that experiment. Uh, I don't know what Shooter's experience is like, but I'll speak to mine later. But it was Chugger back then. Chugger was the goalie. Uh, Steve Dietrich was the goalie for the Nighthawks. So he, he, he was all over the drafts and good young Junior A talent because he was always at the rinks. So I'll never forget that. He was the reason I ended up in Rochester. Well, talk about walking into your first NLL locker room. Just tell me a story about you know like Colin you were a young guy walking in with a bunch of veteran players yeah it wasn't a locker room it was like the hallway of this uh <laughs> part of my friend's shitty shitty arena in Rochester and there was just men kind of lined up both sides of the of the hallway just kind of throwing their stuff together it's not really the wow moment you expect when you walk into the pros but uh, I remember walking in and thinking everybody was so big and strong and you know, they were men. I had seen a bit of that in junior when we when we were trying to deal with Brampton and that. But this was a different uh, – it was a different element. But I bet you a shooter could attest to the same thing. As soon as you got on the floor, man, it was the first time I had seen those big nets. And I, I honestly, in an hour and a half practice, I bet you I scored 700 goals. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. It was so easy because the nets were so big and the goalies were so small. So once – once you navigate and got out on the floor, the, the game was easy, but it was pretty intimidating being in there and seeing kind of what you're up against. Were there any cigarettes in that in that hallway? Guys hacking butts in the salt in the in the hallway? Yeah, I think Dancer was around then, so I'm imagining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a dark story. Again, you have to go back to the Brampton uh, the Brampton Memorial between periods for those stories. That was the best. Shooter, your first locker room experience in the, in the National Cross League. Well, just going to that Rochester camp, I just remember being scared shitless, Steve. Uh, you know, I was pretty naive at that age, 19. I didn't know a lot of uh, about the league, to be honest. I didn't even know I got drafted till the following day. And then uh, walking in there, and I remember my old man, Sam, before I went, uh, which didn't help the situation. He's like, you realize you're playing for money now, so I, I know what I would do to you. So when I, uh, <laughs> when I walked in there, I was pretty scared shitless and uh, navigated my way through. I wasn't scoring seven earned goals in first practice. I was just kind of feeling things out. And, and luckily enough, uh, you know, Paul Day kept me, which, you know, I don't know if I deserved it at the time. So, 
looking back, I got some good experience, but I remember being scared. And then obviously uh, I, I did meet some guys right away and, and got comfortable. Fairly your soon. dad, your dad might've called Paul day and, and threatened his life. That's why <laughs> there's a chance up, of that because there's a gambler connection there. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, there's a chance that, uh, you know, T, T did uh, <clears throat> called Paul and said, you know what? We're going to talk about T and, and so your legendary father, uh, Terry Sanderson, who was instrumental in the game in Orangeville, but obviously, you know, is probably a larger than life character. And I do remember my first story. Really, my first interaction with Terry Sanderson was in Albany um, at an Albany attack game. The Wings are playing Albany. And he was on the bench, and I was on the bench, and we start chirping back and forth through the glass. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? And didn't realize that he was way bigger than me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he should have been saying, who are you? So, and then I also realized that, that he had a right-handed punch over the, through the glass, and I had a left-handed punch over the glass. This thing wasn't going to go very well, but that was my uh, that was my first interaction with Terry Sanderson. So, you know, uh, T as he's known passed away a couple of years ago, Josh, and I know that was a big blow to your family, but uh, he he was legendary, and I know he had a big impact on on your life, Doily. Give me your best Terry Sanderson story. Oh, uh, Doily, <laughs> Doily can take that one. Uh, He's probably uh, yeah, Doily, Doily was good at getting some. Good and I want I want the impression of Terry when he was talking to you. Oh, I, I don't want to mess around with that. T, my best my best T story is like like his son. He knew how to he knew how to celebrate wins, and uh, <laughs> you know at the pro level anyway. Like when when it was around men in the major series or in pro. When you accomplish something, he sure knew how to have a good time, and uh, we had ourselves a few good times. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one story and then I'll think about telling the other one. The, the one that rings true to me, this is T kind of to, to a T literally we were at the man cup in whatever year it was. We were out West, maybe 2009. And, uh, we were staying at a casino cause I think T set that up. He loved to gamble and he was taking a beating all week long. It's 10, you're out there 10 nights, but he wouldn't leave the table to get himself a drink or get himself anything. So we had a, like a, an equipment manager with us out there. His name was Tuna. And uh, his what, what was his was name? Tuna. His Tuna. nickname was Tuna. So this loud casino, it's pumping, you know, after the game, win or loss, Terry's there. And all you'd hear in the middle of this casino is, Tuna! He'd yell as loud as he could, Tuna, come running with a beer or rum or whatever he needed. <laughs> and this went on. This went on all night, every night for 10 nights straight. And uh, I'll never forget, that was T. He was larger than life with everything he did. He had such an impact, obviously, on, on me as a player and as a person. But he was so much fun. And uh, he kind of lived in real life like he lived on the bench. He was, he was awesome that way. And I'll never forget that. And anybody that was there, part of that Brampton team, could just remember the scene. You'd walk through there and you'd hear T yelling as loud as he could. Like, <laughs> Sure, I, I won't make you tell a T story, but I would love you to give. I've I've actually seen your your T impression on on in our locker room and on the bench with the seals, uh, because you guys kind of are starting to look alike and uh, and sound alike. So COVID nineteen's not helping that either. <laughs> but but give me your give me your best T impression of him asking you to take out the garbage. Oh well, at home. T when T 
laid down the law, you did it. He was pretty calm, but uh, so I did it with my mom. But when T laid down the the law, he uh, <clears throat> I just did it. So uh, not too many. Uh, me and my sister didn't argue with him too much. Uh, we we would battle with my my mom, and then my mom would tell T, and things would just come to an end, Steve. So, but he was pretty calm at home. It's just uh, unorthodox uh, swear words when he's coaching. <laughs> uh, a lot of different uh, lingo was used, so I could. I, I don't think I can use too many of those. I I have heard some of them, and they're very creative. So we won't go into that. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Let's talk about the first time you guys became teammates in the NLL. And I, I want to say it was probably in California. And, uh, and talk a little bit about that. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, we missed each other. So, Shoot came to Toronto in 2005 with Flipper, Flip and right? Krug and Cos and Toller went the other way. That's right. I believe. Yeah. So, we, we, we were – we had been like the rocket had a real good start. I think, you know, 99 to 04, I think four championships. And then, uh, yeah, Les that's Bartley, a pretty good start. Yeah. We had a hell of a start. Then Les Bartley passed away. T took the team over, I think in 04, right? Shoot. He had it in 04. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the kind of the back, so, uh, he brought in these guys, you know, quote unquote, his guys, his Orangeville guys, obviously his son and his, his nephew. And then somebody, I think the world of and Krug and, kind of reformed this whole team he got Beazle too and picked up a Rosa the dynamic of our big bullish black and blue Toronto rock team just changed overnight we were we just became this uh offensive powerhouse with a defense that could score and everything else it's just the dynamic changed, and it was it was perfect timing I, I remember for me and uh, I had all the respect in the world for shoot at the time and just seeing him kind of take our offense to the next level was amazing. And I, I know shooter talks highly of that year and I'll do the same. It was probably the best offense I've ever been a part of. So quickly, Les Bartley, uh, obviously the coaching award in the national cross league is named after Les Bartley, but a lot of people that are watching the NLL today probably don't remember Les. I, I do hear Doyle, you do a pretty impressive, uh, uh, a pretty impressive Les Bartley impression. I want to hear it. I've heard about it. It's somewhat legendary. Um, tell me, do, well, do less. I'll, I'll preface it. The reason it became legendary is because I used to do it in the room before he'd come in. <laughs> so before he gave his pregame speech, I'd go around and do my interpretation of him. And then lo and behold, one time everybody stopped laughing and I couldn't figure out why I turned around and Les was standing there. So that was uh that was probably why it was became legendary, but he would go around and he would, he made it a habit of kind of saying one good thing about every person in the room. And some of them made sense. Some of them didn't. He, Doyle, you got to be the hardest worker on the floor. Charlie hustle. You got to hustle everybody out there. And he'd just go right in your face with his hair breezing in the flowing in the breeze. And he would go around everybody. And, uh, like I said, by the end of it, you can imagine 18 guys, he's kind of run out of things to say. So he's either repeating <laughs> himself or just making stuff up that, you know, humored me. And sometimes Les didn't take to the fact that I was so humored about a motivational part of his coaching. But he was, uh, he was a legend for sure. I learned a lot from him. Shooter, talk about, talk about that stealth uh, experience for you and, and going to California to play and, and how you guys kind of came together there. 
Well, we had a bunch of misfits from Albany heading out there and we had a real solid team. So it was a, you know, you can imagine I'm, I was busing from Orangeville to Albany every weekend. And then all of a sudden you're playing in San Jose, California. So it's definitely a, a different, but Johnny, Johnny and clutch was a assistant GM there too. So they took care of us really well. I was only there for a year. Um, but Johnny definitely had some different coaching styles too. Um, you know, the, the one, the one I, one was weird. Cause I think we only had 15 or 16, you can only dress 15 or 16 guys. And he was just so worried about everybody sitting down on the bench and, and literally you're running off and basically running back on. And Johnny, basically the whole game is just telling you to guys sit down on the bench, sit down on the bench. And, and it's just because he couldn't see over top of you. <laughs> well, I guess, but all the players, like we did it for the first shift. And then after that is like, Johnny, we're just, we're just standing at the bench running on and off. We're not sitting nowhere. So that was one thing. And he was, you know, the pregame. And, and like I said, Johnny treat me great, but the pregame, he just loved to, uh, go over the stats of our team and their team. So, like, if we had the better power play, you'd say, you know, we got 60% power play, they got 30. We got them there today. And, you know, meanwhile, every game plays out different. But uh, he just loved going over all the stats. So we knew exactly where everybody's stats were before the game, and, and away we went. But he, he treated us very well. Did you guys ever room together? Once? Do you remember when, Shooter? Prague 2011, for there sure. There you go. That's yeah. right. Wow, Prague. Yeah. Great, great tournament, stuff. right? It's it's about that time of year too, where they it wasn't play this that great tournament. tournament in Raditon, but but they do play that great tournament in Prague and Raditon, and the, and that was basically the impetus to play the World Championships. So you guys played for Team Canada in Prague, uh, in the Czech Republic. Man, what a great experience that was! And I've heard a lot of stories about you know Ward Sanderson putting diesel in the gas, you know, gasoline <laughs> rental van and all that type of stuff. But you guys roomed together in Prague. Yeah, that, that was, was one of the, the highlights. Time, of my, I think it last time. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of my career. That that trip and just being a part of that team and, and obviously getting a room with Doily. We had a lot of fun and uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was one of the coolest things of my lacrosse career. Doily, who's your worst roommate you ever had? I really only had. I, I got kind of you know when you're a rookie, they try to put you with like a an experienced veteran to try and show you the way. So I think I got moved around a little bit my rookie year. And then eventually I just, I told Les, I said, look, I, I, I'm going to room with Whipper the rest of the way. He's the only guy I can room with. So I had Whipper from pretty much start to finish. And then when I went to San Jose, I grabbed uh, Tyler Richards, uh, a goalie there as well. So for my three years out there, I had a goalie. And for the better part of my career until Whipper retired, um, I had him and he was uh, an incredible influence on me. And, he was easy to influence. He'd never say no to a beer, so I liked him that way. So you never had to room with Pat Coyle? No. God, no. <laughs> sure. Worst roommate? Well, always had good roommates, but it, Krug was my roommate in Rochester those first two years, but it might as well have been uh, Cam Bomberry and Dewey Jacobs because – they finished every beer and they're finishing in our room. So you couldn't go to bed until Dewey and Cam finished the cooler of beer. So they might as well have been our roommates, but I couldn't go to sleep earlier than six in the morning, my two years in Rochester. Yeah. On, so. on that note, uh, Patty Campbell was another guy that when the late night rounds are coming around and he's knocking on your door, you answer it. You better be ready for the long haul. <laughs> Well, uh, I do know that uh, Patty. There's a lot of stories we can tell Ooh, about Patty. You got to have him on this cannonball. Show. Yeah, he he is uh, he's legendary as well. So he's a TFL, 
Um, but uh, tell me about who, you know, you talk about locker rooms, but, but who don't you want to sit next to in a locker room? What player, pick a guy you, you just don't want to sit next to. Well, I'll, I'll pick one of the guys that I think sat beside Doily and, and I love Laddie, but he can get pretty toxic. So, uh, <laughs> you know, whoever called it Boston, I'll, I'll call it Laddie here. So, uh, I'm glad uh, I was on the other side, uh, uh, Laddie. So, uh, that and line sewer, right. Who is now an assistant yep. coach with the Georgia swarm with Eddie Como going to be a future guest on the TFL podcast with a few other guys, but, Dan Latissour, the laddie, man, what a big man. He was a, a big, big man. He's a police officer, right? So kind of intimidating. Just and a beauty. He would have been my he would have been my one choice too. And I did spend, I think, like better part of 12 years next to him. And he would fuck with you so bad. If you left something sitting around, he'd take it. He'd never he'd <laughs> never quit. He'd never quit. And he could stink, man. He would he stink. <laughs> Let's go back to Terry Sanderson. <laughs> on one of those, like, one of those uh, you know, 45-seater small planes to Philly where there's two seats on each on each side. And Laddie, who would, you know, we'd all ha had to have a bunch of beers the night before. We'd all have ill stomachs. And Laddie would stand up, walk to the front of the plane, and fart and walk right down the aisle the whole way. And, and, and Terry Sanderson, I can remember him once being so pissed off. He finally says, you know, he goes, this goes, no fucking balls on Tuesday at practice. <laughs> Any minute. Uh, I, I, you just brought to mind a Terry Sanderson story, and I don't want to make the whole show about Terry because, well, because I want to talk about you guys, but I, I do remember a story of a team that he was, was a coach of was playing in Columbus. And, and Shooter, maybe you can remember the story better than I can, but, but the bus was headed back. It was a six- or eight-hour bus trip back to Ontario or whatever it was. was and the bus driver goes around the loop <laughs> around Columbus, and he go, starts going west, and he goes the wrong way for about three hours. And everybody wakes up and realizes they're in, like, Indiana or something. And, and, uh, and he, was, he was quite upset and somewhat animated, I think. Yeah, that that was bad. Actually, it was, we had a we were in Columbus. I think we played the next night or the night after, and so we get up first thing in the morning. And there's I guess a big loop if you don't know how to get out of it in Columbus. So we were I literally slept three or four hours, and we wake up and we we weren't in Indiana. We were still in Columbus. We were driving around in a circle forever. <laughs> so he wasn't the only one pissed off. The whole, everybody who woke up was like, "What is going on?" So basically, a six or eight hour bus ride turn into 12 so it was uh that was a frustrating trip i remember that i couldn't believe it uh most underrated he, player he had his way he had his way with bus drivers that is fact tell me the most underrated player you guys ever played with well we might have the same guy here i aaron wilson Oh, Wills was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sandy Chappie. So clearly you don't have the same guy. <laughs> no, we don't. I thought he was going to go with Chappie just because Chappie, uh, you know, could just – he was just uh, – you know, when you play with a guy like him, he just did a bit of everything. And I know how much Colin respected him and, and, and myself included. So uh, – but Wills, yeah, Wills could put the ball in the net. A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit. 
which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18 plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof body trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. So, Doyle, talk a little bit about your relationship with Dan Stroop because I know that uh, you guys are pretty tight, but I would love to hear you do a Stroopy impression because it's pretty pretty interesting. Stroopy uh, took me in. His family took me in when I started playing senior lacrosse. I would have been 20, 21 years old. And I lived with his family on BC for seven years. At that point, Danny was a a firefighter, a father of three girls, three young girls, and uh, had a million things on the go. But he always found time to to hang out with me. I don't know if I can do an impersonation of Stroopy. Let me me think about that for a little minute here because I I don't want to offend him because – he just, he was so genuinely nice. Um, always had a Budweiser in his hand. He was always on the go somewhere. Uh, like I said, I, I learned what it meant to be a father just being around that house. It was nuts. Uh, I, so I would have, be perfectly you know fine. You know Danny well better than anybody. I would be fine if you offended him, but I guess uh, uh, we won't go there. Hey, so you guys both coach kids, right? And Coached, coached a lot of lacrosse. Give me your biggest pet peeve. The biggest pet peeve you have when you coach kids. And I got some great ones from Casey Powell and John Grant. They, they said parents and, you know, the other. What's your biggest pet peeve coaching kids? Go ahead, right. Shooter. Well, for me, I guess I get my guys pretty trained, trained pretty good, Steve. But the one thing would be just when uh, they're not fundamentally sound and, and you know, try to be a little more fancy or do stuff that's out of their element. Um, you know, so for me, that's my pet peeve when they're trying to do stuff that they're not ready for or trying to, you know, I think Doily might be a bit opposite on this as far as a little more trick stuff, but uh, I, I, I'm fine with that. But, uh, you know, in a game, I'm more fundamentally sound, so to speak. So that well, would thank you for that. Thank you for that really funny story. Yeah. Shooter, Shooter was on my bench on the junior NLL team when, uh, when his boy played for us, and I can remember saying, hey, Dilly, next time you're out there, man, just throw behind the back. Like, you got nothing <laughs> to lose here. And I was the head coach, so I was in the middle with him, and then he had his uh, – and Shooter watched me do that, and then he made, as he made his way to the front of the bench before he went out, and Shooter said, you throw a backhand, I won't put you on the floor again today. <laughs> you my, guys, pet peeve, so, my pet peeve is, is probably pretty simple. It's just I don't like when uh, kids get to that age where they think they're um, – too good to learn. And, and I don't know if I was like that, but you know, I love the kids that are always eager to learn, not the ones that think they know it all by, you know, midget and, and shooter coaches that age uh, a little more than I do. It'd be a tough age to coach. I find the kids when they get to that level, they're, they're almost done learning, even though they've got so much to learn. And that's hard for me. I, I like the kids that just want to keep soaking it in. So shooter, you end up going to, uh, to the Calgary Roughnecks for a time and, and Doyley back to the Toronto Rock. And, and there were some epic battles between those two teams. And, uh, and, and I remember your careers kind of uh, colliding once again through, through that kind of rivalry that developed in Canada. Talk a little bit about that. Well, 
like for me personally the rivalry was in in junior once we became friends in coquitlam uh you know we we got that rec recruiting trip doc hedges brought us out there had a had a blast and, and became real good friends so the rivalry is just our you know him wanting to put his team on his back my me wanting to make sure we win the game so you know really uh just the head-to-head -head rivalry was when we were in junior once we got to that next level there was a, a respect and a friendship but obviously when we played we wanted to beat each other the mentality the mentality for calgary changed once shooter got there because he he had that win at all cost mentality and we we were the big bad bullies you know we pushed everybody around and uh you know that changed when he got there like they're they weren't pushed around anymore and they fought back and they made it hard and I don't know. Did you did you win the first year you were there, Shooter? No, it was the second. I got there at the trade deadline. It was the second year. I think Portland went on to run yeah, that. Yeah, their mentality changed. Their mentality changed. They would always fight. Like, you'd always had physical matchups with Calgary. Like, I can remember a lot of fights and a lot of – but at the end of the day, the difference between putting up a fight and fighting, and they just had a lot more pushback, I think, when Shooter got there. And he really – kind of turn the help that team turn the corner because they were always right with it and they were an awesome team but I can remember the mentality changing you could see it on the other end of it where I was sitting shooter talk about your fighting career well there's not a lot of a lot of not a lot to talk about uh <laughs> I got in a few wrestling matches I remember uh Prouder cut me open uh in Long Island where the Isles play I'm an Isles fan so I you know I, I remember getting cut open there and wrestling with Steiner a bit and uh a few other guys so there, there wasn't a lot to it that's for sure i i knew what i was good at and it, it wasn't fighting shooter I, a shameless plug for the teams that you support you want to talk about the raiders for a while too like well raiders isles raps you name it just just brutal yeah, you can't I talk know. about the raptors on here you can talk he's always about been a raptors guy i'll give him that he didn't not not anymore he's not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the that's nets are moving up the list. he's Doyle, a Brooklyn nets, nets fan now <laughs> <laughs> uh Doyle, oh, I, i've seen you in in a few tilts not a lot but but you had fire to your game and and every once in a while it got let loose tell, tell me about you know your best experience and your worst experience my best the most famous one anyway was with paul dawson um my first game back playing for toronto i was the captain now and um I was shoving with Paul. He took exception to it. And I think he dropped his gloves first. I'm not sure I would have taken that on, but at that point I had no choice. It was just survival. But I don't know if he wasn't trying to knock me out or if it just didn't happen, but I ended up surviving a few welts on the side of my head. I stood in there. It was, uh, it was real exciting. The, the, um, well, you know, Steve shooter, that, that adrenaline you get from a fight is like unlike anything in the world. And, to have, you know, 15,000 people there cheering and having known I got through it alive without getting hit with one of his cinder blocks, I think was pretty awesome. And there, you know, it's, it's probably, it's probably my most famous one in junior once, one was, uh, there was somebody in Whippy by the name of Marty O'Brien. What? I thought the other good one was you and uh, that the Morgan that was like six ten when we were in Anaheim. I think we were up like eight nothing <laughs> at the half. Everybody's already ready for the, the post game. And then next thing you know, Doyley's squared up with 6'10 Morgan uh, going buckets. So that was – I remember that one. That was, that was good. Hey, so I was still a little confused of kind of like 
I don't know. I just, you know, you're always trained to just stick up. He gave Shooter Lack at 8 nothing. It wasn't much, but I thought I'd play tough. And then again, before you know it, I'm fighting somebody almost twice my size in front of 300 people. <laughs> uh, I want to switch gears real quick. And just uh, one of my TFL segments is, is to talk a little bit about some other TFLs in the league. So I want your reactions to these guys. Uh, kind of a rapid fire. Uh, give me your first couple thoughts on Jay Jalbert. Athletic. Athletic. Never seen That's anything it. like it. <laughs> Honestly, Steve, I remember a story. I don't remember going for too many loose balls, but we were in Colorado. I was right on him for a rebound. He literally grabbed it and juked me, and I, I didn't even get a stick on him. And once when I was jogging to the bench, I was like, that's a, that's a mismatch, <laughs> as you've ever seen in this league. He was, he was, he was good. You, you think you see some athletes in Canada. You've never seen anything like that, never in person. Doyle, do you remember, and we told this story on the last episode, and I got it straight from Jalbert, who really doesn't remember the story. Hanford tells it really well. But so – the 2004 All-Star Game with uh, in Denver, the Pepsi Center, when Jay Jalbert hits Glenn Clark, you guys are on the other side of that. The game took a massively yeah. different different perspective. And what was that like on on your bench? I I remember that I remember that game. That was uh, yeah, I was in the West there, and and that you know that sparked that sparked something that that for sure. I thought that was one of the more intense games All-Star games you could have. You remember the 2004 All-Star Game, Doily, where, where uh, Jalbert hits Glenn Clark? Yep. And and what yeah, happens on your vividly. bench? The game changes. Well, the whole complexion game of an changes. All-Star Game changes. And you know what? It was perfect because in that setting, I don't think the fans wanted to see an All-Star Game. Uh, that became a real intense matchup, almost like it was a Game 7. It totally turned the table because your mind just goes from, well, let's get through this and have some fun. And, okay, well, if that's how it's going to be, it's on. Let's do this. And it, you remember the 2005 All-Star game and you guys had to travel uh, uh, to Calgary for the 2005 All-Star game. And, and I think you played the night before. Oh, yeah. And tell me about because Paul Day is going to come on as a guest on the TFL podcast and talk about that. But he has a great story that goes with it. But do you remember that at all? How could I forget? We were on like a we were on like a a plane that would transport an elephant. <laughs> like it had like six seats and then just a bunch of cargo space. I think we were flying maybe six hundred feet above ground level, and it was cold because there was whole thing and it was going so slow. And then we had to refuel in Winnipeg. So I don't think we took off till closer to 1 a.m. And by the time we got to Calgary, and I'm not making this up, by the time I checked into the hotel, it was 11 o'clock. The game started at 1. And we were, in there, we were in the air for the better part of nine hours. It stunk, it was cold, and it took forever. And it was the scariest it, thing I've ever seen. But it was a charter. It, it was a charter. charter. We, got on a, we got on the private section of the airport. Everybody's like, look at us. We're going to get on a private jet. We get on this thing. Some sort of like a zoo cargo plane. I've been pissed off with this league a few times, and Shooter can attest to one of them on another, another travel one day. Of the, the All-Star and game I, and Mohegan Sun takes the cake, in my opinion. <laughs> that what was, happened? We were on that minivan for 16 hours. That, that took the cake for me. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Veltman. Talk about Jimmy Veltman, fellas. What, what quick reaction to Jimmy Veltman? Shooter can start. 
just a vacuum. You know, honestly, you don't know how good he is until you play with him. Just as far as getting sticks in lanes and grabbing every ball and just being so smart. Uh, you know, just when I played with Jimmy, you just realized how good he is. He He's good. He was good. He was good. Uh, Tom Fair. Wild card there. Tom, Tommy's a wild card. Uh, Tommy made me laugh. Tommy was an awesome teammate. Tommy knew how to get things done. He did. Yeah, he was like funny, on though. On the floor and off the floor. Yeah, he did, yeah. What was that little – didn't you have a little grunt that you – or something after Tommy? Yeah, it was yeah. Tommy. <laughs> Before he said anything or after he said anything, he, he had this grunt. <laughs> he, he, was in a, he was on a different level. But if you're watching that Bulls documentary, he'd have been the Rodman. <laughs> yes, I, I had Tommy Fair in Colorado for a while and uh, traded to get him. I traded a second round draft pick to get Tom Fair, and uh, might have been one of my favorite trades of all time. He was a beauty, complete he was, beauty. He was a great lacrosse player. No, I don't think he gets enough he credit for how good he was. Tough as he nails. Really, he got it done. Shooter, were you on the Albany attack team that Tom Fair threw the ball in the empty net? and started a brawl against Albany yes. in Colorado yes. in, in 03, right? Yes, yes. That launched the franchise. There was, there was a game against you guys, Doily, in 2003, where Toronto and, – and that, that's an unbelievable story of the start of the, of the Colorado Mammoth franchise. The very first game oh, in yeah. franchise history went to double overtime, Langtree scores, but we had to hold the game for half an hour. Les Bartley said, yeah, absolutely, Steve, because there was a line literally a mile long outside trying to get into the building, which he brought tears to my eyes after being in with the Washington Power. Yeah. But, but amazingly, that game ends in a double overtime win. Is there film of that game? Because, you know, my, my memory is the place was so loud in overtime. Like, Langtree was three feet in a crease when he scored. And, and the ref, I think, waved it off. But I don't think it mattered. I think they just I, ended the game. I think that might have been a goal before that because he was shoot, He shot from the outside on that one, and it went over Watson's sho Whipper's shoulder and, and launched the franchise there. But the game that really solidified you know, Denver, Colorado as a new indoor lacrosse marketplace and a hot, hotbed was the brawl that Tom Fair started by throwing a ball in the empty net and then Blazer and – and and Brian Reese ends, ends up like crushing Blazer in the corner. You remember that shooter? I, I you know what I do. I, I it's either that game or, or if that was the game where Gator got his a thousand point. And I remember your announcer because you guys were crushing us and saying Gator might get us two thousand tonight. So that could have been the <laughs> night because you guys were crushing us, and then you throw the empty netter and things went things got offside from there <laughs> these things happen yeah hey but i no, I, I vividly remember your announcer and gator was on a roll if that was the game going getting his a thousandth and then on his way to two in a real hurry talk about troy accordingly a motivator you know he just uh he coached both of us motive motivational coach and uh funny guy away from the floor a lot of good laughs with troy he was intense he was intense, but, you know, people forget. It seems so long ago. I, I ran into some clips of him playing the other day online somehow, and he was a good player. Like, it seems like forever ago, obviously, we're getting on age, but, man, he could put the ball in the back of the net, and he was he was some intense, you know. You, he was. Uh, you know what I remember from that recruiting level. trip in Coquitlam? It was 98. We're out there. At, we're watching them play. Troy's playing for Coquitlam, 
and Doily and Troy get into it like they're they like Doily was going at Troy like they're best friends forever. They hardly even knew each other. I was thinking, how do these guys know each other? Well, they were cats and dogs. You know, I remember Doily saying Tavares made you, and then Troy going back at Doily about. I was like, holy smokes, this is hardcore. And then, and that was a good night that. I remember getting dropped off at the bottom of the hill at Doc Hedges, uh, <laughs> getting up to Doc Hedges' place. And if Doily wants to tell the story from there, he can. But Doily's not telling that story. I remember saying, Doily, you're the biggest beauty in the world after watching that display. So, but I just remember him and Troy, cats and dogs, like they've been known each other forever, and they didn't, and they're just ripping each other. And then the walk home was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. They had just Great. celebrated. They had just celebrated winning the West, and we were we were welcome to the party, and um, it was a great party. We got to know a lot of the guys we ended up playing with. But yeah, like Troy, you know, Troy has a way sometimes, as do I, of running our mouths, and it was just a, it was a bad matchup that night. I had a great conversation with Troy accordingly yesterday. Him and JT going to be future guests on the TFL podcast. Super excited to have those guys on, and you can imagine. Uh, the stories that will be told. And I'll certainly try and bring that story up, Doily, so he can tell it from his side. Um, talk about Darius Kilgore. Oh, Darius is a legend to me. He, uh, you know, he just so smart as a coach. And, you know, when I got traded to Albany, he was in that deal. And him and Troy were both in that deal as veterans and really helped me find my game and, you know, take, uh, you know, get me confidence and really help me. So Darius, uh, to me, he's a legend, just, you know, really helped me out a lot over my career. A lot of people probably don't know that. Yeah, Darius was, uh, Darius was, was the epitome of, you know, no friends. And I think I really respected that. And even when you wanted to hear something kind from him, I never played for him and I never played with him. I always wanted to know that he respected me. He just never gave me that. And I think I respected him for that. He held his ground. He wasn't about making buddies or, or friendships. He was about winning. And, uh, I mean, he was a – God, he was a legend. He was a legend as a player, but as a competitor, he was probably – he was right up there with probably the best competitor, the meanest competitor that I've ever seen. I had I had a, a lot of battles with Darius Kilgore when we played Philadelphia, Buffalo. Um, I – I think they were battles. I'm sure he thought I was just a fly kind of hanging around, but um, ultimately ended up hiring the guy to be the first coach of the Washington Power and, uh, and couldn't have asked for a better guy. But, but let me tell you, we, we, had, we did this show, a 30-minute show every week, and we, we, we ran out of buzzers to beep him as, as in the show because we, we ran out of batteries on, on the beeper because uh, it, there were so many F-bombs and C-bombs and all sorts I of could, stuff. I could see Darius taking a bad roommate uh, role because I don't think he's shutting it down until 6 or 7 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, want to change gears? It was, uh, same with – I was just going to say, same with a lot of these guys. You only – you start to remember them as coaches, but you forget how freaking good they were at this game. And it's not like there's unlimited video of these guys that people can watch, but Darius was cool. spectacular. Like, he yeah. could shoot it like nobody's business, and he found ways to score. And, you know, it always it, it always kind of pisses me off how quickly we remiss that whole generation of super talented players. 
Another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. Well, part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast and, and talk about this is to get guys like yourselves on here because, again, you know, I want to have some laughs and talk a little bit about the history of the game, but um, the NLL had a lot of characters. And just like every other league has characters, I think our league was, was fraught with characters and the stories are, are endless. Um, just a couple things before we, we close out. What makes you guys jealous of each other? It do, I don't want the flowery bullshit here about how great you are and this and that. Tell me what makes you jealous about the other guy. I'll I'm start. jealous of the six rings. I'll come right out and say that. I'm I'm jealous of the I'm jealous of six NL rings for sure. But uh, you know, away from the rink, uh, you know, just a good friend and obviously, uh, you know, him with his three girls got a ton of respect from him. But uh, yeah, six rings. That's tough to do. I'm jealous of his like his. I had found that earlier in in my career. I wish I, that wasn't a learned. I, I wish that I was able to to portray that better to my teammates as a younger player. He really had a, a knack for that. And those junior A Northman teams were his, whether he wants to admit it or not, from the time he was a rookie. Um, and his fuel and passion um, made them so hard to beat. His, his, his competitiveness, mine, I think it came around. It was a learned, it was something learned because I was always competitive, but I wasn't sure how to make my teammates as competitive. And uh, he showed me the road there. So I have a, you know, I am jealous of that. I wish I had, I wish I had found that earlier. Well, I, I would, you know, look, you guys were always thorns in the side of every team that I was involved in. And I, I, the one thing that drove me nuts about shooter was how nobody could stop this midget coming out of the corner. I'm like, how, how does nobody stop this guy? I mean, he's a midget. He's slow. He can't, he, I can't, I could never figure it out. Real with him. slow, real slow. slow well, he was slow small. too. I, 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 Doyle and I played a similar game. He just played it as, in basketball terms as a power forward, and I played mine as a point guard. Uh, I thought I think Colin sees the floor just as good as anybody who's ever played the game. And how I did it, I don't. I maybe like an old knuckleballer. I know when I shot, I just tried to, you know, stay one step ahead. But I was slow and unathletic, and <laughs> I all, all the things you said were right on the money, and they're getting worse. But, uh, you know, yeah, but hey, uh, I played in the right generation. Is that the right thing to say? Steve, when the chips were down, when the chips were down, that's when he cashed. And yeah, Colin, I, don't, I don't care what anybody says. That's how you, that's how you grade out a great player. Colin's, no got biggest, Colin's got the biggest clutch gene in the NL history. So as much as he wants to toot my horn on that, he, uh, when the chips were down, he was, he had an extra compete level. He, he hated to lose. He hated to lose more than he liked to win. That was, you know, Colin's key. I I remember sometimes he's saying I, you know, he just he he hated losing more than he liked to win, and and that's a good trait. You guys want to fill me in when the love affair is over? I'll I'll. Well, it's a tail end question. here. We got to get a couple things in here. Oh, I don't see him much Lord. anymore. The movie things. The movie question is going to be. Steve, easy. I know. I know it's hard for you to understand this, but like, you know, Shooter and I, like, in our, we, there are players that respect the two of us. So sometimes it's nice to say something nice about that. I know you don't have a ton of that in your, in your career. Not at all. We can keep going on how slow and 
whatever week I was, there's a long laundry list of, of that. That's for sure. I don't mind that. Uh, tell me who would play the other guy in a movie. Danny DeVito. Yeah, that's yeah. I knew you were coming oh, so with DeVito or Pesci. I knew he's coming with DeVito or Pesci. My my uh, my. So the Vince respect, Va- Vince Vaughn the respect thing is good. Vince Vaughn's for him is easy. Bigger Vince guy, happy-go-lucky, funny Wow. Who, what character out there, what player, what person is the nemesis in your movie? For Doily, I, I, would it be Reggie? I always, I always remember you saying Reggie Thorpe, you couldn't shake him and you, he drove you crazy playing against him. That, that's the one guy I could think of. Reggie, no question. No question. He was just, he was just big enough, just fast enough. Knew just a bit more about where I was going to be. He was my nemesis for sure. Ah, man, for shooter? It's – I'm trying – I, I got to think of a, a goalie. I pissed, Pat, off, I pissed off a lot of guys. I, I can't <laughs> think of anybody. It would be a long list of guys. Shooter didn't like the smaller, more agile, like the Ian McKay's in that of the world that were, like, undervalued but were quick and could hang with them. But I don't know who his nemesis would be. Who's your who's who gave you fits the most? Shoot, well, it'd be guys just like you said, like guys like Patty and Sandy, and guys that aren't huge, but you know, could take away my quickness and just always get in my face. <laughs> I just take away your quickness. Yeah, well, I did have a sliver of quickness to <laughs> a certain age. I don't, is there still tape of those games, or is that all gone? <laughs> He's got uh, a first step, Steve. You can't deny that. I've, I've seen it. To. He does too. I, 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 I jest, right? I do love the Reggie Thorpe reference because, you know, the head coach of, uh, of the New York Riptide uh, played for the Rochester Nighthawks for a long time and was a, was a really, uh, really unbelievable defender. He had a lot of guys' numbers and, uh, and had a long career, especially for, uh, for an American player that adapted quickly and, and effectively to the indoor game. Uh, he was a long-standing, you know, hell of a defenseman for that team. But Shooter can attest to this. Like, when you're standing at the – when the NLL started rolling get bigger and the new team started popping up, I can remember you're standing at the other end of the rink warming up. Guys are on the other team. And then guys like Hugh Donovan and Brian Reese and these great big monsters start showing up, like, with half a shirt on. And you're down, looking down at the other end going – Jesus Christ, what am I into tonight? And then <laughs> it, it, it never ended for like five years. There'd be new guys coming up from like D1 programs that were just monsters and athletic. And you kind of had to relearn how to keep your head above water. Like you, we've just never seen anything like that. And I can, like, that's somebody who's 6'2". I can't imagine what he was seeing. Well, I, I know what I was seeing in that one draft. I forget what year it was, but – I think Brock Sorensen, the first three guys were like 6'4 and 6'5. And I think that was the first cue for me to start heading the other direction. But I remember that draft, everybody's like, like you said, so big, strong, and athletic. And even coaching some of these guys now, I'm just like, Jesus, like, just toss you. Well, fellas, I want a serious question to end it. And I've asked everybody this question because ultimately I'm just trying to get ideas for a film I want to make. But uh, if you could do a 30 for 30 uh, about any player, any topic, any national lacrosse league story that hasn't been told, may never get told, uh, what what would it be, Colin? What, what would be your 30 for 30 for the NLL? Well, I, when you, when you, 
when I had heard of the question first, my, my immediate answer is outside of the NLL. Uh, and I hope that's okay. I'll, I'll come back with an NLL one, but I would I would go to the 2009 Man Cup, uh, Brampton and New West, and I would call it the greatest series nobody saw. Um, it was just a seven-game series that, in my opinion, you know, ha I don't know that it could be beat. It had everything in it, seven games, four games in overtime, a brawl, and we were dead to rights, our Brampton team. And I just think, you know, that place was packed every night. But I think that story told the right way, um, you know, is an, is an amazing sports story. So that would have been my two cents. I didn't know it had to be in the NLL. So I'll think of something while Shooter goes. What, uh, would, you, would any part of that story include you going into, into goal when all the, the goaltenders padding got – that, I mean, I know it was a different story, but I think yeah, that's that was a good story. Unbelievable too. story. It is an unbelievable story. I'm still proud of that, man. All those years playing in the backyard paid off. And the funniest <laughs> hockey goalie. Yeah, that's hockey true goalie. too. I knew my angles. You the funniest part of that story, and I've told this before, is I'm down in the room getting dressed up, and I got Kirky and B. Miller and a bunch of people helping me. Next thing I look over, I got Kim Squire taping one of my arms on. <laughs> And Kim Squire wasn't even on our team. And he's not from Victoria. He's not from the island. I don't even know why he was there. And I, I maybe, maybe I was imagining he was there. Literally there taping, and then he handed me my stick. The last thing I remember going out, I'm walking out the tunnel going, what the hell was Kimbo doing there? That's one person they need more tape of in junior, Kimbo Squire. There's no your NLL question. story. The, the story of Kim Squire. That's that is an amazing one. story. He it is beauty. And good and bad and everything else, but like Shooter said, I don't know. You'll be hard hard pressed to find a more a more dominating player. Uh, stop you him. know what? The Kimbo Squire story that I remember. You guys beat us in like the two thousand three, two thousand. Uh, maybe it was two thousand one. Uh, Washington Power, and and we were all in a post game party. And for those people in the old NLL, don't remember. What, you know, we used to go to a post game party and and actually all spend time having pops together before everybody kind of went on to do their own thing. But um, Kimbo Squires talking to Darius Kilgore and he had just beaten him and you guys won in overtime or whatever it was. And there was a discussion about where Kimbo Squire was and, and you know, how, where he was on the floor and how nobody can ever check him and, and do their job. And he would go, Derry, I was hiding. You couldn't see me. I was hiding. <laughs> it's, it's a great Kimbo Squire story to Darius Gilgore going, I was invisible. I was hiding. That's, anyway. that's so Kimbo. <laughs> He'd be a great story, man. He, he, he hit the epitome of heights. And then obviously he ran into some trouble personally and everything. And then he had a tremendous comeback story. And very people are kind of in tune with that. But Kimbo came back. And I can remember his first game back against the Wings. And he scored, I think, two or three goals. It was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty amazing story. Obviously, you know, he personal. A, he got a flesh-eating virus. Almost killed him. Back. Play with one hand. He played yeah. with one hand. It, 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 it's an amazing. And he'd been story. away from the game. Yeah. So crazy story. So yeah, he, he great was, thirty for thirty I, I, there. And honestly, and Steven Junior, he was the most dominant player I played against. He really was. I, I in like especially those last two years, it was like. He would just bounce off everybody and end up with the ball on top of the net. Like he would literally be on top of the net 10 to 12 times a game. And I thought he was, I thought he was amazing. I really did. He was so rich and so confident and so good and such an asshole. He, he was, 
He was perfect, man. He was eating. He would take. And he was invisible. Yeah, he was invisible. And he could hide. And he he could hide. hide. It was awesome. (laughs) Shooter, what's your thirty? Well, when you read, yeah, when I originally thought, you know, I think that the Thompson is uh, story in in the NLL would be a great one. Um, You know, just the three of them playing on one team, and then Jeremy was out in Sask, and then just their summer game. You know, I remember playing them against before they really got hot in the NLL, we played against them in the senior B league and they all took turns scoring six and seven goals. So just, you know, a little bit of their Can-Am NLL. And then as far as a, a game, I think that 2005 championship in Toronto, where I just think it's a good story how the, the team got retooled. And then, you know, to me is the best game as far as atmosphere. Cause the dot, you know, doc Emmerich called it. NBC was there. The, it was sold out the rally towels, that game just sticks in my mind as, uh, you know, the, I don't know, it wasn't the best game as far as the score and all that, Steve and, and Doily, but um, just as far as the atmosphere and just rocking and, and where the NLL was in 2005 with NBC covering it, I thought it was awesome. To me, to me, it was the height of the NLL. That's the best it's ever been. Well, it's I'm hopeful. It. I'm hopeful pass it. that that continues to, to grow and expand and, and, uh, those stories, I think, are a legacy for our past, and, and you guys uh, are true legends of our game, and, and I truly appreciate you taking the time for an hour to come on and talk about uh, lacrosse. I'm, I'm certainly sure uh, that we could probably go on for another hour with uh, a number of, of stories and discussions, but it's a true pleasure. Thanks for being on episode three of the TFL podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm just honored to have you guys. Uh, true legends of the game, and and I think there's uh, uh, shooter. Help me with this. Uh, there's total championships on this on this call between the two of you guys. What there's like seven in the NLL. Well, Colin has six. I got two. Dude's got two. <laughs> yeah. Come on. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I, I'm I'm thrilled that you guys are on. I'm. I, Great legends of the game. Thank you so much, and uh, and thank you for being on the TFL podcast. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Good seat catching up with you a bit, Doily and Steve. That was uh, that was fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, Shooter. Always a pleasure, man. You know, I got the world of respect for you, Steve. Next time we talk, we'll have to talk about uh, how you tried to get me out of Toronto. How that all went down. I had nothing to do with that. That's not what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> all good fellas thank you i would again. like to hear that i'd like to hear the deal of that that's i guess episode down the road maybe yep. way down the road yeah fair enough thanks guys thanks be fellas. good fellas. be safe take care